I'm going to greet you this morning in Jesus' precious name. It's already been blessed to be in here and singing and the devotional. We serve a great God. The day and age we're living in, we better get closer and closer to him because I believe he's coming soon. When Terrell called me Wednesday and the uh, first thing that entered, th- I thought about was the message that I had shared up at uh, Rosebush, Michigan early in October when I had been asked to come up there. They had a kind of a small seminar up there of a couple churches that have been struggling and getting together, meeting together, Mark Ritchie and another church up there, and uh, actually a couple hours apart, but they've been meeting, and so they had what they called the Mid-Michigan Bible Conference and in Rosebush and then also over in Mark's church, which is in, what is it, Fruitville? Fruitport, Michigan. Fruitport, Michigan. So a number of us shared up there, and uh, I was just looking. I think this message this morning uh, that I had up there was uh, at an hour long, so I'm planning on giving the same message. But I don't think it'll be that long. But anyway, it was a, a privilege to be there. The churches that were meeting there, I would have understood, were having some problems, possibly, and people coming to the church and leaving the church, especially the one church. And so some of the topics were geared to that. And mine was, the title they had given me was, Thou Art in the Gall of Bitterness which is found in Acts 8.23. And we want to look at that in a little bit. You can turn to that, Acts chapter 8. I think this might be the first time that we have, I have a daughter, a granddaughter, and a great-grandson sitting here this morning. So that's a privilege to me. I'm not that old, am I? (laughs) Can't be. be. We find here in Acts chapter 8, Stephen's burial, and Paul was persecuting the church, and Philip, because of the persecution, Philip was preaching in Samaria. The word is going out. It kind of goes along with our Sunday school lessons that we've been having, but Philip went out and preached in Samaria, And there were some people that were saved there and uh, some that weren't. And that's what this is kind of about. The lesson is kind of about here. Reading from Acts chapter 8, verse 9, starting at verse 9. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery or magic, and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard, because that of a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip, and wandered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. 
Now when the apostles were at the Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands he might receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of thy wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity, Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me, that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. Now I'd like to look at verse 23 there in another translation in the ISV. This is the way it reads there, because this was a verse that was given to me to share up there. It says, For I see that you are being poisoned by bitterness, and you're a prisoner of wickedness. For I see that, you, that you're being poisoned by bitterness and you're a prisoner of wickedness. Apparently, Simon had never been a born-again believer here. And Peter points that out, and we'll look at that a little bit. But this account here shows how close a person can come to salvation and still not be converted. Simon heard the gospel, he saw the miracles, he gave a profession of faith in Christ and was baptized, and yet he was not born again. He was one of those Satan's clever counterfeits, I believe, that, and Peter exposed that wickedness here, and Simon would have been accepted, I believe, as a member of the, of the Samaritan congregation if Peter hadn't done what he did here. Now, the tendency today would have been to say to Peter, hey, lighten up. Peter, look, he's, he's a new Christian. Or maybe some other words that he might have, might have used there. But Peter would have probably been the one that would have been criticized for doing what he was doing. But he was willing to tell Simon the truth in love. Though it was hard for Simon and those standing by and hearing it, I'm sure. But Peter obviously did hear what God wanted him to. We have it in the scriptures that he did this. And so we see that bitterness being the subject here, we find it three more times in the New Testament. In Romans 3.14, it says, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. And so we see that it's something that is something that we should not have. In Ephesians 4.31, it says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Now, that's the part about bitterness, but notice the answer to it in verse 32. Of course, you're not 
turn to that. We'll turn to that later. You can see it then. But in verse 32, it says, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Then in Hebrews 12, 15, it says, Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, let any root of bitterness springing up trouble, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Now, I'd also like to notice what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 14 and 15. Don't need to turn to that. Familiar to you. It says, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. Very plain. What we must do before God will forgive us. Why do we have such a hard time extending forgiveness to others. Why do we have such a hard time doing that? Perhaps one reason is that it doesn't seem right. You know, justice demands uh, that there be repayment or that there be punishment for wrongdoing. However, we are not the ones that have the authority to do that, to retaliate. To do so amounts of taking away God's authority, his role, which is just as sinful as what was done to us. Now, the unforgiving attitude is evident in the hearts of many, and sadly, including even Christians, even believers. We see this every once in a while. Unforgiveness. Why is it so hard? Unforgiveness demonstrates a unwillingness to extend to others the forgiveness that Jesus so graciously extended to us. We've seen that in Ephesians 4:32. It paints a root of or plants a root of bitterness in our heart, which poisons us, it causes us trouble, and it defiles others. We've seen that in Hebrews 12:15. And it hinders God's sanctifying process in our life because we grieve the Spirit by holding on to anger, resentment, or vengeance, and we see that also in Ephesians 4. So instead of demanding justice, Paul encourages us in Romans 12 to bless and to do good to those who persecute us. If you read Romans 12, you'll see that. And that we can never overcome evil with sinful attitudes ourselves and our actions, but only with good. And for now, we must trust God and leave vengeance to him. We'd like to sometimes repay, and we'd like to do things, but that's not for us to do. Now, that doesn't mean you don't correct somebody. Peter did here. He corrected him. But I think we need to be careful in the sense of how we go about doing it. Turn with me to Ephesians 4 now. We want to look at the last two verses in chapter 4 and the first two in chapter 5. I read these already, but I'm going to read them again. Ephesians 4.31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking. What do we do with it? What's the next words? Be put away from, from you with all malice. 
And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Chapter 5, be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Bitterness comes from the Greek word which means to wound by piercing. A poisonous, I had the thought that came to me was it was a snake. A snake has fangs. As those fangs go in, they make a very small hole, but it can be very deadly. That's the idea that we get here from bitterness. It may be a small thing, but it can become very deadly. Life has many privileges and blessings, but then there are some bitter experiences that probably all of us have had to pierce our hearts, so to speak. There are persecutions. There are people's unfaithfulness, heartaches, tears that come to those who try to love and serve God. And like I said, probably all of us have went through those times. And without the work of God's grace, we can easily become victims of bitterness. And bitterness takes root in a heart that refuses to forgive and tolerates pride, a a heart that wallows in self-pity. Such attitudes fail God's, won't let God's grace work in us. If we keep those attitudes in us, it's very hard for the grace to work in us. Now, interestingly enough, I think a lot of us would say, well, bitterness is the same as anger. It's not. Bitterness is not anger. Anger is an emotion. Bitterness is a spirit. Emotions come and go. A spirit stays. Picture with me, and this is a crude illustration, but I thought of this. Picture a house, your home, and maybe your living room with all the furniture in it. You've got nice, beautiful furniture in there. It may be furniture that is things like kindness, good works, forgiveness, mercy, and peace. But when bitterness comes in, it kicks out all of those. And you end up with furniture that looks like this. It looks like spite, envy, jealousy, spiteful words, spiteful deeds. Not a nice place to live in. That's what we now have in the living room if there's bitterness in our heart. And it stays there. It doesn't, like I said, it comes to stay. And it's going to be hard to get it out once it's there. When we allow this to happen, we're no longer the person that we really want to be. And we could even say that we're unchristian. We're we're no longer at all what God wants us to be. And without that spiritual life and spiritual strength, we have lost the ability 
to deal with anger in the right way because, yes, bitterness causes anger, but they are different. It may crop up in the form of uncontrollable anger or depression or ulcers or hypertension or divorce or abuse. You fill in the blanks. That's what bitterness does. To get rid of the symptoms, you have to get rid of the bitterness. And one thing you're going to hear me say this morning, probably a number of times, is this. Realize that if you have bitterness, it's your problem. It's not the other person's. It's your problem. It's not the other person. Have you ever known someone who was bitter? Maybe bitter at God, blaming God for the bad things that have happened to them. Maybe bitter at a spouse, bringing them, blaming them for what they had done to them. Bitter at a parent, a child. Maybe bitter at an employer for not uh, promoting them the way they thought that they should be. So let's take a look and see what bitterness really is. Maybe you are bitter. Maybe you know someone who is. Maybe you're on the receiving end of bitterness. Someone is bitter at you, and you're feeling it. Often, bitterness is a perceived sin. What do I mean by perceived sin? When we think that someone has sinned against us, we harbor resentment towards that person, which can turn to bitterness. We wait on an apology. It doesn't come. And again, we harbor more resentment against that person. We've gotten the idea, I believe, that before we can forgive, one so, forgive someone, they have to apologize. And I don't think you will find the word apologize in the Bible. Now you'll find the principle there, but the word apologize is not there. But when someone sins against us, we wait for an apology, and if we don't get it, we get bitter towards that person. What if the person doesn't realize they have sinned against you? Or actually haven't sinned against you, but think they have? Then they'll never apologize. And you'll be better waiting for that apology that isn't going to be coming. Let me give you an example. Someone came to us years ago in the ministry. And... They were upset that we had not visited them when they were in the hospital. One of them was in the hospital, one in the family. And it apparently they harbored resentment towards me because of my apparent lack of interest. I mean, I'm not going into detail of everything that was said, but that's basically what it amounted to. They didn't. And I didn't know that anyone was in the hospital. I asked them why they didn't let me know that that, that was the case, that they were in the hospital. 
They said, well, they didn't want to bother me. Since I had, hadn't apologized for not seeing them, they was I, obviously there was bitterness here. Now, how could I apologize when I didn't know I had done anything wrong? But I did. What if I had never found out that they were bitter because of this? They might have been resentful forever. They could have been bitter forever. I don't know. don't know what has happened with that. But I did my part. But my point is, sometimes the person that you're bitter at doesn't even know that you caused something that made you bitter or that was an offense to you. And yet, we're holding them. So again, the bitterness comes back to me. I'm the one holding, I'm the one with the problem. Remember, it's often perceived sin that causes bitterness. What are the characteristics of bitterness? God's word, as we've seen, likens bitterness to a root that's hidden under the surface. And it suddenly shows its ugliness. That's the nature of bitterness. It grows quietly in the heart, undetected. Bitterness is a choice. It's a decision not to respond to a situation through God's grace. You know, you go to church and you smile, but deep in your heart you have a root of bitterness that drains that spiritual strength and it hardens your heart. The other verse that was given to me was Proverbs 14.10, which the first part of that reads like this. The heart knoweth, knows, the heart knoweth his own bitterness, which tells me that the, the person knows that he has bitterness, but he's not going to do anything about it. So you see, it's a choice. You make a choice to keep it there. Now, business or bitterness remembers details. Most of what you have done or what was done to you, you have forgotten a long time ago, right? A lot of things that we have come and gone and we've forgotten them. We don't remember the details of most events. But when you are bitter about something, you can remember every detail. Every word that was said, the tone or voice that was used, the time, the place, the circumstances of the event, you know exactly what happened, and often you're willing to share that with somebody that will listen. Why is this true? Because you reviewed it over and over in your mind. You've done it a thousand times or more. You know, we don't normally review the good things like that. We remember them, we enjoy them, and then we set them aside. But when you're bitter over something, you can't let it go. You just can't let go of it. It stays with you. And you play it over and over again in your mind. 
And eventually you become obsessed with it. I counseled a couple one time. I'll give you another example. I counseled a couple one time that were going through a divorce. They were bitter. There had to have been a thousand good things in their marriage. They wouldn't have gotten married in the first place if they hadn't loved each other at one time. But something happened. And they were bitter. They no longer can remember the good times. All they can remember are the things that they have been rehearsing in their minds over and over and over again. That's bitterness. Rehearsing it over and over again. When a person is bitter, no detail is forgotten. And often the details become exaggerated after a while. The more you analyze and scrutinize them, the worse they become. So how do you know if you're bitter? Your resentment causes you to be obsessed with all the details of the event. So looking back a little bit, first we looked at what makes you bitter. It's perceived sin. What are the characteristics of bitterness? You remember details. By the way, I have some handouts, and I'll lay them up here um, that you can look at, take, and look at later. It's an outline of this message. Number three we want to look at is why do we become bitter? Because we have a, think we have a right to be bitter. And you know, bitterness isn't based on how big the offense against us is, but on how close the offense is to us. Let me give you an example. We would say that murder is a big offense. And this has happened already. I'm sure you've read of stories of maybe a whole family wiped out in California. Somebody came in and murdered the whole family. I use California because it seems like a lot of things happen there. You know, we might be appalled at that, or we should be, but we don't feel any bitterness. We don't feel any bitterness. Why? Why don't we feel any bitterness? We don't know. We don't know who they are. We just read the story. And it hasn't affected our life. So who is the likely candidate for our bitterness? Those close to us. You're not going to be bitter at the guy who killed those people in California. But the most likely candidate for our bitterness is your husband, your wife, your mother, your father, your children, your brother, your sister, your boss, your co-workers, your friends, your family, relatives, minister, even God. We don't get bitter about evil outside of our immediate contacts. It's based upon how close the sin and the sinner is to us or the one offending us, not on how big the sin is. 
It doesn't have to be a big sin. It can be a real little one. And you know, it can start with something like this here. Maybe the husband has got certain chores around the house. And for some reason or other, he doesn't do them every time the way he should. And the wife reminds him. And it still doesn't get done. What if he doesn't ever pick it up again? What if he doesn't go back and start doing it again? It becomes resentment. When resentment sets in, it soon becomes bitterness. So it can start so small. And it can start, yes, right in the home. With husbands, wives, children. You know, if you tell a child, constantly criticizing a child, the child is going to become bitter. The child's going to become bitter. I had to think of that as Terrell was sharing about this 14-year-old Yes, maybe the child needs to get out of the home. And I'm not saying the parents at fault here, but something is a problem somewhere. Where is it coming from? And it could be the parent. It can be us as parents, as grandparents, whatever it may be. And, you know, we think we have the right to be bitter. Someone has done something against us, and there's no apology, there's no remorse There's no change in their behavior. They just keep on doing what they want to do. And you will continue to be bitter until they get down on their hands and knees, so to speak, and make things right. And until they do, you think you have the God-given right to be bitter. And even after that, you're probably not going to change, even if someone comes and apologizes. So often you see that there really isn't any change because we've gotten so used and so obsessed with this We don't give it up. We don't give it up. We still remember it years later. And it doesn't make any sense to be bitter the rest of our lives because of the real sin or the perceived sin of someone else. I've given you this story before, but I gave it up in Michigan, and I'll give it again. Of the, this story is supposed to be true. It happened in Napanee. We're a bunch of young boys, and I don't know any of these individuals. I was just told the story and told it was true. A bunch of young boys that were always kind of picking on a certain individual, an Amish man, an older Amish man. And the boys went down, and when he had his buggy down in the buggy lot, they went down there and they put a bunch of big stones in his buggy. Years later, one of the boys went to the man, and he wanted to apologize for doing that. And he apologized to him, and the the older man looked at him, and he says, Young man, he said, I unloaded those stones from the buggy before I left town. You have been carrying them ever since. Isn't that what we do? We carry it with us. Bitterness. Here are three things that you can do with bitterness. You can keep it inside. And when you do, it'll make you sick. Remember, we talked about hypertension. We talked about 
all kinds of things that can come into our lives. It'll make you sick physically, emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually, and eventually it can kill you. It's that deadly because of what it does to us inside. And you can often see bitterness in the face of a bitter person. Number two, you can let it out. Now, some people will tell you that to go to the person you're bitter against and let it out. Let him have it. Don't keep it in. Share it. Why keep it in and make yourself sick? Let it out and make everybody else sick. I don't think that's the way at all. God has a much better plan. What does Hebrews 12, 15 tell us? To dig it up. Looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, thereby many be defiled. So the Bible describes bitterness as a root. Now a root is underground. It can't be seen but you can see the evidence of it when the root cracks a sidewalk. Now, just because you don't see the root doesn't mean it isn't there, and roots don't always stay roots. Eventually, they come up, and they're going to bear fruit. The root of a lemon tree is going to come forth and bring sour lemon fruit on the tree. It's not going to bear the sweet fruit of an orange tree. It's going to be a lemon tree. Roots grow. They spread. Let me give you another example. While I was preparing for this message, I decided to cut down a pine tree in our front yard. A pine tree that I had planted when it was about that tall 48 years ago, two years after we built the house. Not a problem. But I totally overlooked that at that very spot, my electric and my telephone lines came in from the, from the pole that was three feet from it. So I decided to cut this tree down because it's not looking good after all these years. Now it's a tree that's quite a, quite a ways up there. In fact, since this, since this message in Michigan, I've actually cut the tree down. But I had the, the NIPSCO come out and show me where the lines are. The gas line is not right there, but the electric and the telephone lines are right there. In fact, since they're marked, it goes right over one of the main roots that's there at the tree. So I told the man what I was planning on doing. I was planning on cutting the tree down, and he looked at me, and he says, don't take their stump out. And I figured I knew what he was going to say. He said, by this time, the roots of this tree have entangled all of your wires down there, and there's no way you're going to take them out unless you can untangle each root individually. Brothers and sisters, that's what happens when bitterness takes over our heart. The only way to get rid of them, in a, in a sense, when we dig them up, is to be very carefully untangle each one because if, you just, if I would just go in there with a stump remover, I would uh, probably be paying for redoing my electric and telephone lines. 
So they become entangled. And it becomes worse and worse. I'm sure if I'd have done it 20 years ago, it would have been a lot better than doing it 50 years later. It says, thereby many be defiled because the bitterness spreads. It spreads through a church. It can spread through an office. It can spread through a school, a home, a family. It's like a magnet. It draws in those around a bitter person. It's like a piece of tape. It sticks to those who come in contact with it. Bitterness affects everyone that gets around it. So we have to dig up that bitter root. And how do we do that? We have to recognize that it's bitterness. The tendency is to look at the offender and the the offense and uh, see how much we've been wronged, what they did to us. But we have to confess that we're holding resentment to that person and resentment has been held onto becomes very rotten. It can become something that really destroys our life. We need to realize, like I said, that it's our own problem, not the problem of the person who has offended us. The bitter person always thinks it's the other person's sin. That's the problem. The truth is, bitterness is the sin of the bitter person. If your bitterness is the fault of the person who has offended you, then it wouldn't be bitter anymore once they apologized. But often, like I said, an apology won't get rid of the bitterness. So the only thing that, or the the main thing that we do, not the only thing, but I think the thing that we have to do in getting rid of bitterness is to confess it as sin before God and confess it as my sin. Who can quote 1 John 1 9? Correct. Thank you, Owen. What does that verse tell us? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, Jesus is always listening waiting to hear the sinner come to him in repentance. His love, his grace, his mercy is waiting to heal and to cleanse. So maybe you're on the receiving end of a bitter person. Maybe you are the person who is holding resentment and bitterness in your heart to another person. Let's consider Jesus and the bitterness of the cross. See the bitter stripes across his back. Remember, bitterness is to wound and to pierce. Remember those stripes that were on his back. Remember the bitter nails that pierced his hands and his feet. The bitter thorns that were driven into his head. The bitter words that were spoken at the foot of the cross that I'm sure that he heard. Yet in spite of all of that, What do we hear him say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's grace. That's grace. All that had been done to him, he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know 
what they're doing. God can give us the power to forgive what, in a sense, might be humanly impossible to forgive, but with the Spirit of God in us, it can be done. So this morning I ask us, do we want to be free of bitterness if we have it in our hearts? Only he can give us victory over that. Only he can do that. And I trust this morning, as we have thought about some of these things, that, and if this is in our heart, to remember, we make choices. We have to make the choice to go to him, to confess it. He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us, not from just part, but from all unrighteousness. We can get rid of all of it if we really want to. God will do it for us. Thank you, and the Lord bless you.